You've reached Conversation with Mr. A. This is your host, Anthony Apostilla. Thank you for listening. Let's get right to the episode. Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Mr. A. This is your host, Anthony Abastilla. So for this edition, I have Pastor Jeff Adams, who is a prison chaplain. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Um, so uh, the first question I wanted to start off with is, uh, can you explain to our viewers, uh, what exactly do you do as a prison chaplain, and what do you encounter? There's actually uh, a law, an RCW, that explains very careful, very clearly, my job is to take care of the incarcerated individuals in my facility and their families. And additionally to that, as, uh, in addition to the law, there's an expectation that I also pastor the staff. At the facility where I am, we're around 2,000 staff are around 650, so 2,650 plus um, all the families associated is quite a big congregation. Okay. Now, can you uh, describe the type of people that, uh, that are incarcerated? I know you encounter them on a daily basis. Um, are there any specific patterns of uh, who they are with their behaviors, what they do? Yeah, there's a full spectrum of all kinds. There's different uh, custody levels that uh, have an impact on that. So some are incarcerated uh, at a higher custody level because of acts of violence in their past, recent past. Um, and so they have a propensity to um, recommit violent acts, so they have a different custody level. So their behavior sometimes uh, prove out to be like that, where they commit acts of violence on staff or each other. So you have to be careful. Uh, there's a lot of safety measures in place, officers all around, uh, but you have to watch out for yourself. So you have to be guarded, always uh, keep a safe distance, because you never know when somebody might decide to do something. Staff inside a prison sometimes will escalate rather than de-escalate by their own behaviors. They have problems at home, so they bring it to work and they take it out on an individual, which is unkind and unfair, and they feel that. But then they stew about it and then boil up and sometimes attack different staff members or others. And so it doesn't always mean that if you're a nice guy, you're not going to be attacked. Sometimes they attack just anybody because somebody's got them riled up. Then we've got other people that are uh, struggling with mental health. Oftentimes they're in a special unit, but they get to move with the main line. Uh, so you've got to take, in, take that into consideration when you're interacting with them. Then I would say the majority of the population that I deal with on a regular basis uh, are pretty much just like the rest of us. They may have committed heinous crimes, which is why they're incarcerated, but they still are the ones that I deal with on a regular basis, especially in the Christian church inside the facility. Um, they are people that have tried to bury their, their old self in Christian baptism uh, and tried to begin a new life and, and do better with their families as they interact with them in the visit room or on the phone or as they um, re-enter uh, the real world or just interact with each other in the population. There's a revival going on right now at my facility uh, which is incredible. We've got a lot of men who are totally sold out to Jesus, and it shows. And I don't think there's any education program, any trade skill program, or any other program other than the religious programs that actually launch people uh, out back into society with greater um, potential for success. 
So the religious program is, I think, the most substantial, and I'm glad that we do that in Washington State. I'm curious uh, with the incarcerated individuals that you encounter, is there a pattern specifically with the age range? Uh, are they 18, 24, 24, 30, any specific age range? Yeah, the younger guys for sure um, struggle with growing up, and that's a, a big uh, issue. Maturity is something. Uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, who is a, a new um, voice in my mind uh, to me, he's a, an author and a public speaker and a world-renowned psychologist. And Jordan Peterson says regularly in different ways that a person matures when they uh, sacrifice for others. That's when you know that person is matured. So these younger guys that come in, I get to do what's called orientation. So as we integrate new people in, and it, it can be like say 50 or 60 in any given uh, particular week where we're integrating that many into the prison. And I get to say to them things like, look, a lot of you guys, you, you know, you haven't grown up. You still think that doing what you do is the way you do things and it's great. Well, you're here because of that. And if you can stop that pattern and realize I can grow up and start thinking that there's a better life other than incarceration, uh, there's a better life outside of crime. And if you can grow up and stop thinking so much of yourself and start thinking of others and putting others ahead of yourself, that will help you. And I believe that religion and pretty much every religion kind of helped you with that. Um, and I think that Christianity, specifically biblical Christianity, is the best because it helps you to uh, put God first, then others second, and yourself last. Okay. Uh, what are the rewards and challenges do uh, you face with the everyday job? And uh, could you share, possibly share a story or two? Yeah, the challenges, the biggest challenges are uh, that we have people at different levels, like at the headquarters level and at the local level, that don't understand the significance of religious programs, uh, don't understand the impact, and make decisions from behind their desks um, without uh, enough knowledge to make the decisions that have a negative impact on how we care for individuals. Like I said, there's an RCW that actually spells out what we're supposed to be doing, which is essentially caring for the incarcerated and their families. We're supposed to be teaching them, providing moral instruction, counseling, helping them through their problems, whatever they may be. However, uh, the majority of what chaplains face in Washington State is a lot of administrative paper work that typically would be reserved for uh, what we used to call secretaries, but office assistants. Most office assistants have been removed from um, chaplains, so they don't have that help. So chaplains are trying to carry a full-time job that's bigger than most pastors on the outside. Like I said, if I'm dealing with 2,650 people plus their families, that's no, there's no church on the outside that thinks any one pastor without a secretary can do that. So what we have is people at the headquarters level and at the local level and administrative positions that continue to create work for the chaplains that prohibit them from walking the units, the housing units uh, where the, the men live and uh, day to day. Uh, and if the chaplains can't walk around and interact with the staff and with the incarcerated individuals, then what ends up happening is um, they're not able realistically to care for them they don't know them they so so either you've got you've got to make a choice you have to decide do i want to um 
do what the headquarters and the local administrators are uh, piling on me, what's expected of me for the uh, secretarial or office administration work, the reports and all that. Do I want to focus on generating reports to make them look good, or do I want to uh, focus on actually following a law and caring for these individuals? So there's a dilemma that chaplains face, and that is, uh, do I do I actually care for the individuals like I'm supposed to, following DOC uh, uh, values and following the DOC's mission and its commitment and its vision, um, it, do, I, do I do that or do I instead uh, do what's expected of me of people that could actually hold my future in the palm of their hand? So in other words, uh, I have this dilemma. Uh, do I uh, cherish my job or, or what I'm supposed to be doing? And so most chaplains fall on the, uh, the air on the side of uh, the lack of caution in the sense that they choose instead to care for individuals and their families and staff. And those chaplains are loved by the people in their facilities, but oftentimes they are not loved by their administrative uh, staff over them at their facilities and at headquarters. The rewards, though, are huge. For instance, right now as I speak to you, I've got a situation, you want a story. So uh, administrators, and I don't know who the decision makers were, but I'm guessing the outgoing supervisor um, with the incoming supervisor made a decision uh, based on uh, there was a remodel going on in the visit room, which is where the baptismal was. And because it was in the way while they did the remodel, they wanted it moved while they're doing the remodel. Well, um, I asked the question from those who were saying, can you please move this? I said, where am I going to put it? There's no plumbing uh, in the, my chapel. I can't, I can't get it into my chapel. I can't use it in my chapel. So it'll be non-functional if you move it out of the visit room. Uh, and so I already, uh, I learned that uh, one of the administrators had removed the baptistry from the previous facility uh, that this administrator was a leader over programs, removed the baptistry and sealed off all the plumbing so that no baptisms would happen again in that person's mind. Um, so I don't know what the motives were behind that, but I know that happened. And uh, that individual was involved in this decision and the baptistry was moved. They had to take the doors off the visit room, wheel it down to my building, take the doors off my building to put it in my building downstairs at the elevator below the chapel because it can't be used in the chapel, can't be used in the hallway where it sits now and has for weeks. And currently, as a direct result, I have 59 people who are waiting to be baptized, but we can't get it done. There is a revival going on. These men want to bury their old selves in, this, in the biblical symbolism of baptism and start over, a spiritual marker that means so much more oftentimes to prisoners, incarcerated individuals, than to people on the outside. They want to start afresh. And right now we don't have things in place to accommodate them. So I'm in the middle of trying to negotiate getting an alternative collapsible portable baptistry that we could use outside in these warmer days. Uh, and maybe get these guys baptized. I think once we get these done, there should be uh, probably an influx of more who are also on the verge of making that decision. Uh, so I think we're probably going to see 100 or more baptisms probably before the year is up. So it's very rewarding seeing this. I've also seen people leave the facility um, 
completely changed as a direct result of their religion. I've, uh, I, I see people that are currently in there making huge decisions, taking huge strides forward, learning to not be so selfish, but to be selfless instead. So the reward is gigantic. Um, I have helped uh, multiple staff this year alone uh, retaining them because they were ready to quit and they come to me. Uh, you've got staff that have come to me that have lost a spouse and nobody knows. Uh, staff that have lost adult children and nobody knows. But they come and they share this with the chaplain so they can get through it. Staff that are mistreating their spouses. Staff that are uh, taking some of their their work home with them and neglecting their children. They come in and they talk to the chaplain uh, because there's no negative stigma to doing that like there is with dealing with a mental health professional. However, I'm connected with mental health and, and connect them if they need it. But it's extraordinarily rewarding to, um, to be even um, able to serve in this capacity. As, min as many of the roadblocks as we have, like the baptismal problems, and there's, that's just the tip of the iceberg, but every chaplain in the state faces roadblocks and speed bumps from people who don't understand what needs to be done, but yet... God blesses what they do when their heart's in it. And there is nothing better than knowing you're pleasing the Lord, despite the uh, attacks uh, through people uh, from the evil one. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier about um, the younger the younger people, the mm -hmm. ones 18, maybe 18, 24, and mm -hmm. the maturity. You know, they kind of deal with a little bit of maturity. And a um, question that I was wondering is, why do you feel the youth, and I'm thinking about this one, ages 13, 24, why do you feel like they need to make good decisions? And uh, what do you feel are the most important factors that will keep them out of being incarcerated? Um, accountability and responsibility are the things that are missing in the lives of the younger people especially. And uh, we're not helping much in society when we continue to do these things like you've, I'm sure you've heard. I don't watch the news. I will listen to the news on the radio sometimes, but uh, it's never uh, talk show stuff. I, I, I just try to listen to unadulterated news and I try to look at source material to make sure it's accurate and not uh, political. But what's happening in California is certainly something that tends to spill over into the rest of the United States, uh, you know, where they've got it, where um, if you steal something that's $950 and under, nothing's going to be done. Police will not get involved. You're, nothing's going to happen to you. So people are doing it consistently. They're getting very good, even in Washington State. They're getting very good at just keeping it under a certain dollar amount and walking out the front door of a store. And now California's got a new law they're trying to pass, which is you cannot try to stop them. That if an, an employee of the store tries to stop people from stealing, then the store uh, owners will be fined $18,000 per incident. So basically, we're creating laws in this country that don't hold people accountable that are breaking the law. We are creating laws that are trying to criminalize people who are law-abiding citizens. And what this is doing is creating an environment where there is very little accountability or responsibility. And that's what these young people are missing is accountability and responsibility. Uh, in this world today, it seems like kids are, rather than getting their information and wisdom from people who are true mentors, who are sages in society, instead they get on the internet and they think that they can uh, get their wisdom from peers who don't know anything, who have no experience. And maybe they may have done something once or twice and now they're making a YouTube video on how to do it. When you could go to your parents 
who've done it thousands of times, whatever it is, but you don't want to go to your parents because they've been taught. They don't know anything. And what that does is creates an environment of the lack of responsibility and the lack of accountability. So if we could get back to maybe a biblical principle of honoring your parents, uh, honor your father and your mother, this comes with a promise so that you may be blessed your whole life and live a long time. Um, th- those are those are good things, and we probably should get back to some of that. Now, I'm sure you've come across uh, people that are in- incarcerated. You mentioned how they've turned their lives around, or it seems like they've done really well, and then they've been released. And then from whatever circumstance, they've actually come back yeah. they, for just for various reasons. And uh, I guess some of my question is, why do you think that happens? And when you see them, how do you deal with them? Like, well, what is your approach? I deal with them directly. Uh, if I know them personally, I talk to them about it. Like, what happened? You know, did you want to come back? Uh, and the reality is some do. Some, uh, you know, they might say they don't, but some thrive inside that environment. In facilities, we don't talk about it a whole lot, but, you know, in Washington State, if you're incarcerated, you get uh, free uh, cable TV, you get free tablets given to you so you can communicate with your family rather freely, you get a whole bunch of free video games, you get free food, you get free health care, free housing, uh, free recreation, you um, you get a, a free gym membership, if you want to call it that as well, and free education, including up to a bachelor's degree, so and trade skills. You get... Uh, so so um, why why would it be attractive to you that you have to, uh, when you get out on the outside, you're going to, in Washington State, you're going to have to earn, I think the ESD uh, for 2022 says that the uh, average income is $84,000 plus a year, and most incarcerated are not going to be able to get out and do that um, unless they go back to doing drugs or whatever else they were doing. So it's much more appealing to have everything taken care of in a limited world inside an incarceration facility. But as far as recidivism, it's a real thing. One of the reasons why I do what I do is because I worked in the Dominican Republic where they had reduced the recidivism so low, it was something like 98% of those who had gone through a particular program called authentic manhood uh, did not return to prison. And so the the government in the Dominican Republic made note of this when and and they the, they talked to the people who didn't return after they'd been through such a successful program, which I got to be a part of, and I was thankful for that. Um, they asked them what you know why was this beneficial, and one of the things the people voluntarily said was repeatedly, if I'd have been taught this before I ever went to prison, I never would have gone. And a lot of that has to do with the fathers being missing in the homes. But the principles um, themselves were not being taught in the homes. And that is something that the Dominican Republic decided to ask the ministry to consolidate this, even though they don't allow Catholic, the Catholic Church to teach in the public schools, and they don't allow Catholic material. They did allow this distinctly Christian material to be modified for fourth graders, and it is now taught to fourth graders in all of the public schools on the island of the Dominican Republic. So that would be a preventive measure so that people wouldn't enter. Uh, it. I got excited about that when I was learning that, and I thought I would love to be able to 
instill some of these principles in, in the incarcerated under my care so that we can reduce the recidivism. And that's what I've been doing. And th- that's why there's a revival going on. They're actually practicing what they're learning inside the prison. And it's changing the culture of the church in the prison. And we've got it such a diverse, you would not believe it if you were to see it, every skin color, every gang, former gang member, uh, current gang members, all these are coming in there, you know, uh, people that hate different people of different races or whatever, they're coming in there and they are taking seriously what they're being taught. And uh, we're giving them real life skills and it's, and uh, those that follow it, it's turning out to bless them and their families. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that is really awesome. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, you don't much don't watch much uh, media, TV, right. and um, well, I know there is a stereotype. You, know, you, right. you see things in movies or TV shows, cops, and I mean, just from the little bit that you've seen or might have heard, uh, what do you think are the differences from what uh, the media presents prison to what is actually real life? Well, some that you see, some that I've seen in movies, um, has been uh, fairly accurate. Um, but uh, you typically you don't see, and what I've seen in modern representations of the prison life, you don't see uh, guys walking around with tablets, you know, playing video games. Uh, you don't see that. There's there's a book called "Be the Parent, Please." Very, very well-written book, and it talks about the damage that's done to a developing brain if a child is exposed too much to uh, tablets, to screen time, uh, TVs, tablets, phone, cell phones. Um, and so if, if, in my mind, it seems to uh, indicate that if it causes the developing brain to not develop properly, uh, if there's too much screen time, so we should limit screen time, then I don't know that handing tablets to prisoners with just unfettered access is the best thing to do for their brains. Uh, I believe that it might help us to control them, uh, help them to be calmer and compliant and help us with de-escalation because they stay de-escalated by being stuck on their screens. Um, but I also believe that it could actually uh, hinder their ability to think for themselves. So I'm not sure I'm a fan, but I don't see that in modern um, prisons, uh, modern incarceration facilities. I don't see people walking around with tablets. Um, you don't see people, um, uh, like what I see on a regular basis. It, it looks a lot like, especially with minimum custody levels, it looks like college dormitories, um, is what it looks like. People just floating around. Uh, they do wear the same clothing, same color clothing. It's easier to identify them, uh, uh that kind of thing. But, uh, I would say that, um, if you watch things on TV or on on the movies that make it look like prison is a place you don't want to go, I would say that reality sometimes is, uh, for some of these guys, it's a place they want to be because the living on their own is unachievable with the economy tanking like it is. Um, it's uh, And another thing, with the church on the inside of the prison, we can we can actually have the church just follow the Bible, not denominational uh, flavors. And on the outside, there's so many different denominational flavors, it's confusing. But inside, we try to keep it pure and non-denominational, just following the Bible. So that is also something that's attractive, and you don't see necessarily inside the uh, depictions of prison. Now, in the older uh, things, I think which you can pay attention to, over older movies, older depictions, you might see uh, th- the way things used to be, where uh, officers were mistreating 
um, the incarcerated. Uh, that seemed to be a, a very common thing. That is something we're getting further away from, which I think is good. Uh, it's not the duty of an officer to treat people as less than human. Their their duty is to provide safety and security. The punishment is prison. It doesn't need to be people being cruel uh, from the staff in prison. So uh, I think we're trying to learn to do better with that, although I do believe we have people in high places uh, that still uh, seem to be full of bitterness and hatred towards the incarcerated. Hopefully we will filter that out with all of our trips. We've sent people to Norway, brought Norway people here. We're trying to follow a model in Norway, and if we can embrace some of those, at least um, treat people with human dignity pieces, I think we'll, we'll be doing better in our facilities. And it helps me as a chaplain. One of the things that helps me uh, is if people, they see me as a chaplain treating people with dignity and respect, it's not considered anymore like, oh, you've been manipulated. Now they see it as, well, that's the way you're supposed to treat people. So that's, that's a good thing. And what would you tell um, our listeners that are listening to this podcast if, okay, uh, the thought might be, okay, going to prison might be easier because you get all these privileges. What would you tell those people to say, okay, hey, going to prison is easier than making it out there? What, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them that is uh, true in large part. Uh, however, uh, um, sleeping, let's just take that for uh, consideration. You have to be woken up at certain times to count you, to make sure you're still there. And if you don't wake up and come to the door and make your presence known, then you will be infracted. And that could add to time, uh, further time away from your family. When you're incarcerated, you don't get to wake up to the person you love and you know and is in your family. You're away from them. You're separated. Your communications are limited through the time you're allowed to talk on the tablet or telephone, however you're allowed to communicate or in the visit room on those special days that they come, or if you get an EFV, which is a, a physical visit in a private area, it's still not the same. It's not the same as getting to go to your favorite store, watch a movie uh, at the movie theater with your loved ones, to interact with your child in a way that, you know, like fishing or exploring in the woods. You don't get those experiences inside a prison. You deal with steel walls and concrete floors on a consistent basis. And other people make decisions for you day in and day out constantly. Officers will tell you where you can go and when you can go, and you have to follow the rules. If you don't, you'll get more time added. It's a very restrictive world. Yes, it might be easier in the sense that you don't have to fund any of it yourself, but it's a miserable place. And if you go to prison, you will be marked for the rest of your life uh, for what you've done that will follow you everywhere you go and it will be very difficult to find a job it'll be very difficult to serve in a church it's going to be very difficult to live in a neighborhood for many people because they have a record and it will follow you so you if you just simply want to uh, avoid the prison life and you should um, it's not it's not all roses uh, for the guys that have been down and down that that's a term they use for how long they've been locked up they've been down 20 30 40 years something like that for them Life on the outside, they don't know how they'd make it. They're not used to it. Uh, but for people who've never been incarcerated, you don't want any part of that. Um, one of the reasons you don't want any part of that is because there are people in there that are bigger and stronger than you, and they outnumber you. And if they decide that they want to make you a victim in some way, you will be made a victim. And uh, they can decide to tell you to make somebody else a victim. And if you don't do what they tell you, they can pulverize you. And they don't care if they get locked in solitary confinement because it's not as hard as it used to be. They could care less if you end up um, hurt and having to have a longer extended stay in prison. Because if you defend yourself, 
guess what? You also are now going to have more time added to your incarceration because you got to fight while you're in prison. So you don't want to be in a place where you're not allowed to defend yourself. You're going to be a most likely somebody's victim um, or you're, uh, you have everybody else controlling everything you do all day long, every day. Um, that's, that's not fun. Even when your family visits, you will be controlled. Everything is recorded, everything's watched, and you can't step out of line. If you do, your family's dismissed and your visit is over. So it's not a world that you want to be in where you have to protect, pretend like you're tougher than you are in order for other people to don't, not make you a victim. So, and you don't have any privacy. If you want to visit your family, let me explain this to you. If your family comes to visit you in a visit room, the way that happens is when you, you get patted down before you go in, they also have to be searched before they come in. They leave and they get searched as they leave. When you leave, you get strip searched. And that's exactly what it means. You have to take everything off and be searched in front of two officers. And you have no none of your dignity remains. And that will happen every time your family comes to visit you or every time you go to an event that has uh, outsiders. That will happen to you. Wow. Okay, well, just a few more questions now. Um, I understand you have a podcast as well that you yes. do. I do. Yeah, it's uh, if you look up Pastor Adams, Pastor Jeff Adams, or Chaplain Jeff Adams, you'll find it on Spotify, you'll find it on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere where they do podcasts, you'll find it, and I hope that you will uh, learn something from it and uh, grow closer to Christ if you choose to listen. Inside the facility, we've not been able to get the podcast available to the incarcerated, but we are working on having uh, them available on CD so they can listen in the uh, chapel when they choose to do that. Excellent. Uh, okay, so the last part of the uh, this interview is called the word association. I do this with all my guests. Okay. Uh, I'll give you one, two, three words, and then uh, just tell me like the first thing that immediately comes to mind. Okay. So the running joke with all my episodes is um, just how much I dislike pickles. I really dislike them. So I guess the first word would be pickles. What are your first thoughts? Just word or thoughts? Oh, thoughts. Your first thoughts. Uh, I have uh, every day in staff dining, I get some form of pickled uh, vegetables or pickled. Uh, I have cucumbers and onions. They pickle there. I love pickles, so you and I are different on that one. <laughs> That's okay. No, no problem at all. It's okay. Uh, fishing. Uh, fishing is a wonderful thing. I, uh, I, I would like to do it more. I hope when I retire, I get to do it more. I spend a lot of time doing my jobs. Um, the, uh, prison job, I, I tend to work two to, uh, three hours, sometimes uh, a day more than I'm required because I'm trying to do, uh, the work of more than one person and I never get it done. But so I don't really have time. Then I have a, an hour and a half commute one way. So it's three hour commute every day. Uh, so my time is extremely limited on fishing. So instead of fishing, what I do is sometimes I'll take whole Saturdays during elk season and uh, and I'll hunt. I've also hunted bear and, and cougar and deer. Okay. Uh, Home Depot. Uh, yeah, go there. I go to Home Depot, go to Lowe's, uh, Home Projects. I've got an unfinished project right now because I don't have a lot of time, but it's nice to be able to, to uh, go there and uh, get what I need. Okay. Racism. It's very prevalent inside of prisons. Uh, most prisons uh, segregate themselves in their day rooms, which is where they live. They have their living units, and they come out, and there's tables. And usually there's tables that are segregated. That's uh, you know, the white table, the black table, the Hispanic table. They do that, especially in the higher-level um, um, 
of, of custody. Uh, that happens a lot more. And there's almost an expectation and an assumption uh, based on your skin color that you're associated with uh, some of that, which is why I'm so grateful that our church on the inside, which is exploding with numbers and with enthusiasm and with renewed lives, is so extraordinarily diverse that there is you you can no longer make that judgment in our facility that just because there's a skin color that there is racism there. Sports. Sports is a big deal even in the prisons. They do a lot of illegal gambling. They, we try to stop it, but they do that. Uh, we I love sports. I'm a former athlete. I'd like to say that I'm still one, but I'm too old. <clears throat> but I love sports. The guys uh, love sports. We talk sports, so it's a good thing. Awesome. Yeah. Barbie. <laughs> uh, we have some inside the prison. There's a trending thing where uh, people in society think that they can choose to be a different gender. Um, biology, <laughs> be gone. They don't. They don't want to think about real science. They want to think about uh, social uh, programming. And so we've got uh, individuals in our facility that think that they are a different gender. They want to buy. They want to be identified that way, and they have taken steps to begin to appear that way by mutilating their bodies and uh, taking on that appearance. It's created a lot of problems because staff are afraid to address issues with these individuals. They're afraid they're going to get sued, you know, based on discrimination. Um, and uh, these uh, individuals expose themselves on a regular basis uh, and then claim that other people are, um, you know. Um, being uh, inappropriate by the way they look at them. Pornography is a is a major infraction inside a prison that can cause you a lot of problems if you get a, that major infraction. However, um, so you're not allowed to look at uh, nude women photos, but what you've got in front of you is what looks like nude women standing there. They do that on purpose, uh, exposing themselves to the population and then creating drama because they know they can. <laughs> so we've got some Barbies. Okay. Bad hygiene. Um, that is something that will be addressed, but uh, there are things that incarcerated people do. Maybe it's associated with mental illness, but sometimes they will um, they will do things like smear feces all over the wall because they know that it's got to be cleaned up by somebody. So um, they do these kinds of things, and they'll fling things on officers and things like that. So that's what hardens officers. If you ever hear stories of officers that are very, very abrupt with the incarcerated, it's because there are incarcerated that will urinate on things and try to fling it on officers, and they will uh, they'll try to contaminate things. They've uh, there's even been incarcerated that do things in the staff dining food in the past, and so you can understand why staff are um, apprehensive because there are bad actors in the world, and there are a lot of bad actors inside incarceration facilities. Right. Um, any final words that you would like to tell our listeners? Uh, I would say that um, probably the most important thing that I would like to say to anybody that would hear this is that we are in desperate need of chaplains, of quality chaplains. We've got great quality chaplains in Washington State, but uh, the federal standard is one chaplain for every 400 individuals. Washington State cut budgets years ago, uh, a little bit more than... uh, 10 years ago, maybe close to 20, between 10 and 20 years ago, we cut budgets and moved away from the standard of one chaplain for every 400. So as I mentioned before, I'm almost 2000. So there's one chaplain in my facility and that is, you know, uh, a, a much more difficult standard. That's five times the amount that I should be trying to handle, uh, by myself with no, uh, support. 
and uh, very little equipment that I need. So <clears throat> inside our state, they've definitely tried to make chaplains. They don't even call us chaplains. They call us religious coordinators. That was something the legislature was deceived into believing uh, years ago, uh, 2019. Nobody wants a religious coordinator when some someone's loved one has tried to commit suicide. They want a chaplain. Uh, when somebody has died and you need to notify your loved one, they don't never call asking for a religious coordinator. When there is an escalation moment and the crisis negotiations team is 15, 20 minutes away, but the chaplain's right there, they want a chaplain. They don't want a religious coordinator. Washington State um, uh, Constitution says in it 12 times that uh, chaplains will be in every facility. However, legislators change the term to religious coordinator, which relegates chaplains to like a glorified secretary. That's not what the facilities need. We need men and women to step up, get the education they need in seminary or wherever they're going to get it, and become qualified to be chaplains so that we can handle uh, what's in front of us. The, the the people that are incarcerated need us. Their families need us. And uh, I'm telling you, there is, um, I, I'm making a plea, uh, not just in Washington State, but around the world, we need more people dedicated to chaplaincy because it's a uh, it's something that can change lives and make things better in our world. We can launch these people out into the world uh, with this idea that they can succeed, they can live with hope, they can achieve, then um, our society will be better. We don't want to launch them out there and have them recommitting the crimes, which is what's happening right now. They're in our backyards. They're under bridges. They're all over the place uh, committing crimes, and uh, society is becoming more and more afraid because there's so many people out there recommitting these crimes. How about we launch them uh, with uh, hope and success? And that's what we need is more chaplains to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff, for this interview. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you for doing it. And that concludes this edition of Conversations with Mr. A. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Jeff Adams, for the interview. Lots of detail, lots of uh, situations lots of uh, stories and i really really appreciated the time that uh, jeff did so thank you again for listening uh stay tuned because we will have future episodes coming up we'll see you then